Welcome to the Government Huddle with Brian Chittister, a new podcast from Government Marketing University. My entire career has been dedicated to marketing in the government space. And in the beginning, I never cared about the why. I was completely focused on the how. It was all about the tactics, the analytics, the ROI, rinse and repeat. Then I decided I wanted to understand these programs and technologies the same way our customers do. It opened up a whole new world for me. And that is what this show is about, aligning the why with the how, taking a deep dive on current trends, making bold, educated predictions about the market, learning from expert guests, and discovering innovative concepts on how to respond to all of this. So join us as we talk about all things government marketers need to know about today, tomorrow, and beyond. Come on, let's huddle up. Places like the Department of Defense, um, a lot of the folks, the intelligence community, some other agencies, uh, they have authorities, uh, they have uh, partnership programs that make it easier for folks to adopt commercial innovation. They have uh, unique authorities like other transaction authorities or commercial solutions offerings um, that really lower the barrier for uh, new technologies to be piloted and potentially scaled inside government. But that's not the case across lots of agencies. And that's why we advocate broadly for um, getting the acquisition process to move at the speed of technology. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. And so much of the conversation happening right now revolves around IT modernization and the gaps that government needs to fill. Obviously, the pandemic was a driver in some of this, but a lot of this narrative started long before we all heard the name COVID-19. We've heard from former federal CIO Suzette Kent talk on this show about antiquated policies that are in place that have really slowed down progress of digital transformation efforts in government. Frankly, at the rate technology is changing, having 10 or 20 year old policies just isn't going to cut it. And my guest today knows all about these challenges because he has been one of the leaders over the past few years influencing the new policies. Matthew Cornelius was the senior advisor for technology and cybersecurity policy at OMB. In that role, he was primarily responsible for leading numerous government-wide IT modernization initiatives, particularly the IT modernization cross-agency priority goal, which was a key pillar of the president's management agenda. He was also instrumental in the establishment of the Technology Modernization Fund, which I think has driven a lot of innovation within government. He left this role less than a year ago to become the executive director of the Alliance for Digital Innovation, or ADI, a coalition of customer-focused commercial companies helping to shape government IT modernization efforts through advocacy and thought leadership. And he's going to tell us more about this great organization, some of the programs he's working on right now. Matthew, welcome to the show. I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Really great to be here. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about what ADI does for organizations? Absolutely. So uh, ADI is uh, a two-year-old uh, nonprofit that focuses on advocating for commercial product and service companies who want to drive uh, commercial innovation in the public sector. So our mission is to help the government buy and use commercial technologies to drive mission outcomes. And that comes in a few different flavors. Uh, part of it is uh, working on policy issues, obviously working with members of Congress or members of the administration uh, to change law or change policy to help move the government in a more uh, modern sort of tech and cybersecurity direction. Uh, part of it is education and collaboration. So uh, working with our members, uh, of which there are two dozen now, uh, to partner with agencies on pilot projects or uh, reverse industry days or any level of collaboration where we can help 
showcase the dynamism of the, the products and services our companies offer to uh, folks and agencies that are looking to drive transformation and modernization faster. And then the other part of it is, um, you know, awareness and education to the public. It's, it's about talking to the folks in the broader industry about how we all work better together to drive uh, transformation and drive better outcomes and mission outcomes uh, in the public sector. Like our group is exclusively focused on uh, trying to help uh, federal government predominantly, and in some cases, state and local governments, um, like I said, buy better commercial technology and drive mission outcomes. So it's a very exciting time. There's been a lot of change, especially over the past several months. And uh, you see a lot of enthusiasm and dynamism in this space uh, in a way that I don't think you saw it uh, previously. So it's uh, it's very exciting. And ADI is a, is a growing organization, and, and we're very happy to have this mission uh, and to work to, to make sure the public gets better services from, from the government. I know that you guys are filling a great need. I know when my conversation with uh, Megan Metzger earlier this year, uh, and I know you and Megan are friends and you guys work together for um, the government and the organizations that serve the government to understand how to better work with each other um, and, and definitely support how organizations can partner with government uh, agencies to showcase how their solutions can better uh, drive mission outcomes. Um, and I, I want to touch a little bit um, later on with your role at OMB, but first I want to talk about uh, the congressional testimony you gave back in July. And uh, one of the quotes that you had was, Congress should revise antiquated statutes that are no longer aligned to modern business practices and update other statutes to provide the necessary authorities and incentives for agencies to buy and use commercial technologies. And I think that's... That's great. But my question to you would be, was the government ready for the acceleration that they saw uh, in the beginning of this pandemic to be able to get to the point where they could uh, function as efficiently as they are now? Yeah, it's a it's a terrific question. And I think the answer is um, it depends. And, and I, I hate to use such a such a, <laughs> a sort of waffling, such a waffling answer, but but it is true. And and I actually mentioned this in some of the testimony and some of the questions that that happened in front of the House Government Operations Subcommittee is, you know, agencies that had already significantly invested in cloud, that had digitized their their workflows and not just their workforce, right? You can give anyone a laptop and put them on a VPN and send them home. But if, if your business processes and your digital workflows are not uh, enhanced and updated, uh, then you would not be able to respond to this sort of mass, massive sort of uh, distributed secure telework posture that the government uh, and most private companies took on uh, starting back in, in February and March. So, you know, you see some really good examples there. And, and the, the interesting thing about that hearing, if you if you read the this, this sort of hearing memo about the purpose of it, they really, uh, Congress really wanted to dig in and talk about some issues where they perceived that agencies had failed in their COVID response. They, they talked about um, the IRS having problems with uh, economic impact payments or paying folks that have been recently deceased. Um, SBA's issues around the Paycheck Protection Program and the, the Emergency um, Disaster Loan Program. Uh, and there was another agency that they wanted to focus on as well that I forget off the top of my head. But the, the picture we wanted to paint, and I think we saw this from our members, uh, I saw this talking to my former colleagues back at OMB and agencies, is the folks that had really doubled down on uh, the, the key items that uh, we had highlighted back here in my time at OMB and the President's Management Agenda, folks that had followed the cloud-first strategy that OMB put out, folks that had 
really started um, experimenting and partnering with uh, with industry more aggressively instead of relying on the sort of old legacy uh, integrator outsource management model inside agencies, uh, they made it, they already had the foundation. So it was easier for them to move. I think folks that didn't have that, both on their sort of mission support services, as well as their, their sort of forward facing mission programs, um, they did not do as well. And, and there, were, there was a lot more uh, bumps and bruises and you saw people, uh, you know, PIV cards would time out and they'd have to go back in the office to get rebadged or, you know, there were uh, problems that broke down with their, uh, a lot of their software. So, you know, it was, it was uneven, but I think on balance, uh, most of the agencies did pretty well given the, the, the quickness with which they had to go immediately to um, total telework. So in that sense, I think there's, there's a lot of positive, there's a lot of good that comes out of it. And one of the things we've called for from an ADI perspective is we really want OMB and agencies like this and, and the interagency councils like the CIO council to put forward their list of recommendations, ideas, best practices, and best examples of what worked so that we can build on that for the future. Like I, I, I fundamentally believe that there's been a lot of good that's been learned over the past six or seven months. And what we, now to, what we need to do now is sort of take that information, take those examples and build on them government wide. So uh, that's the hope that I would like to see happen, uh, both with you know, a, a new administration in January, whether it's the second uh, term of the current president or a new administration and a new Congress, we have a real chance to redo a lot of the, the old legislative foundation uh, for federal technology sort of management spending and oversight and, and a lot of the, and build on some of the good policy work that's happened over the last few years and really kind of dramatically accelerate uh, from where we are right now. So I think the future is bright in this space. And I think there's a lot of collaborative, bipartisan um, government industry collaboration and work that can be done uh, here over the, over the horizon. I agree. And I think, I think we've seen the government kind of step up to the challenge as they've needed to shift the, the telework and the more digitally, um, digitally focused environment. Uh, they've really looked to drive partnership with private sector, like you mentioned, but you touched on some policy there and cloud first, uh, which shifted into cloud smart with the PMA. Um, can you explain the value that cloud really brings to an agency when they're looking to deploy these uh, type of uh, like telework technologies yeah. or even just new and emerging technologies? Yeah, I think the, the two things that I think most about when it comes to cloud are sort of scale and flexibility. And um, you know, when we would talk about this internally at ADI, um, there, was, there was a great point that, that one of our members brought up when we were trying to talk about examples of how folks had responded to COVID. And, and they mentioned, well, you know, Netflix didn't have a problem when everyone started streaming all of their shows a lot more because they were stuck in their houses. And you know, Peloton didn't have a problem getting you know, uh, hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of new customers over this. So why is it that, um, why is it that the government seemed to run into so many roadblocks in this? And I think it's because um, fundamentally, I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, the government is still not as a whole where it needs to be and its understanding of cloud and all of the capabilities it provides, and therefore unable to effectively take that technical knowledge and transfer it into smarter acquisitions that allow them to um, buy and use um, cloud capabilities more effectively. 
I think that's one piece. The other piece is there's still a, a, a significant problem in the way that ag most agencies are funded and appropriated. And, you know, until we get past this cycle of thinking of IT dollars as just dollars in a CIO office and just one-year dollars that are always up to the whim of Congress and the administration to change, we're really not going to see this sort of fundamental transformation that we're, that we're looking for. So another thing that ADI has really pushed hard on, and we've talked to Congress about this, we've talked to OMB and others, is you really need to kind of loosen up the strings on those appropriated dollars for, for um, technology funds, give agencies a little flexibility, make them two-year dollars, make them three-year dollars so that agencies can do smarter planning and then make adjustments with those dollars um, when exigent circumstances arise. Like we probably won't have another pandemic over the next couple of years, but you know, there will be some other unique circumstance where the government has to respond. And we want to make sure agencies have the flexibility and the authorities necessary to do that in a smart way where they, you know, they're not wasting money, they're spending it effectively and they're getting better outcomes. So, you know, I think that's, that's where agencies need to get to in cloud. First, it's sort of um, harmonizing and, and, and collecting and um, maturing their understanding of the technology and, and the, the opportunities it provides, and then working across both the technical and the acquisition front to make sure agencies can buy and use this technology in, in a smart and effective way. So I, I want to double click on that first point that you was around government understanding the value that cloud can drive change. I think some of the onus there is on see educate um, their customers on some of the value that it brings. What can what do you see that role being? How can private sector organizations uh, help enable government uh, agencies with that information to to effectively uh, inform and, and drive that change? Yeah, I think the the main point on this is not to to go to any agency CIO or any program office or any sort of mission program owner and say, here's my product or service here. Here's what it provides. Here are the capabilities. Here are all the customers I already have. Like, I, as long as I worked in government and, and from all my time working outside, that is the last thing any person in government wants to hear. They want to know that um, the products or services you have can help them solve a problem that you've already identified before you go into a meeting with them. So, so you have to know what their mission is. You have to know what their incentives are. You have to know what their constraints are, uh, because they, you know, folks inside government, especially CIOs and other sort of um, technical leads, you know, they, they see pitches all the time. They, they work with industry. They talk with industry. They, you know, they get sales pitches and, you know, they'll take them, but it's not what they want to be doing with their time. They want to be solving problems and helping deliver better programs and benefits and services to the American people. So I think when it comes to whether you're cloud, whether you're emerging technology, you're an AI company, you're an RPA company, um, you have to you have to go into the room with anyone you're trying to engage with in government and already have a pretty firm understanding of what the mission is, what the problem is that they're trying to solve, and what their constraints are and their incentives uh, should be, um, and use that as the framing for for building a better relationship. And if you do that, the likelihood that you build a better partnership or uh, land a deal or or you know get a contract awarded uh, is just going to go up exponentially. So I think about it from a mission first standpoint. Um, and you put yourself in the you put yourself in the in the shoes of those folks that you're uh, hoping to be potential clients, and I think that can drive uh, better outcomes both on the business side as well as on the government side. One of the things you mentioned uh, in in a conversation we had before was the CIOs just want 
person. You're working with an agency. You want to make sure that any type of conversations you're having or value you're bringing um, is not only top down, but also bottom up. You want to make sure yep. you're reaching the folks that are actually on the ground doing doing the doing the heavy lifting on a day to day basis. What recommendations do you have for for this audience in in making sure that you're aligning your messaging? Yeah. Um, it's, it's a, it's a great question. And, and as the former OMB would say, you got to know where the money is, uh, and you got to know who's in charge of the money. And I, I think we've seen over the past several years in government, especially since, uh, FATARA, the federal IT acquisition reform act was passed, uh, back in 2014, you've seen COs get a better, uh, grasp on sort of overall IT spending within an agency. They have a, um, the better governance. They, most of them have a direct relationship either to the secretary or the deputy secretary. Then they have sort of approval authority over uh, all the IT uh, spending that's happening in the agency, regardless of whether it's in various programs or offices or national labs or centers or anything else. But um, this goes back to why the CIO is just one person. You know, um, if you're at the VA, the VA has a very particular uh, way of being appropriated. And it's very line item specific and it goes directly to individual programs. And within those programs, it has very specific sort of earmarks and instructions under all of that. So if you're trying to go to the, the CIO of the VA, great person, uh, uh, Jim uh, Gaffer, who I worked with a lot, you know, he may really like what you're doing. You may have a great product, you may have a great service, you may be able to help him solve a problem, but you don't you don't know if he actually has the ability to work with business owners to get decisions made and to uh, move out on a new sort of acquisition uh, around this, uh, around the, the product set that, that you might have. Um, that's very different than someone like, say, uh, USAID, who has a sort of broader working capital fund. The CIO has a lot more authority. They get to manage IT more across the enterprise. And so they're your they are your better sort of customer, your better entry point um, for an agency like that. So you really have to understand, you know, I would think of every agency as its own market. Uh, and uh, the way a lot of business folks think about individual states or individual cities or individual countries or regions as market. And you really need to understand that market, that agency before you go in there and understand where the money is, where the sort of approval authority for programs and projects is. And then that way you can not just tweak your message, but you'll have a better understanding of who your your core audience is and who that one person or two people are that you need to engage with most effectively and build relationships so that you can achieve your outcomes. So that's what's so unique about the government is no two agencies are the same. In fact, no two bureaus within the agency are the same. So it, it takes a lot of legwork. It takes a lot of understanding of how Congress works, how OMB works, how individual agencies work. Um, and but once you once you have that, and once you have that understanding, uh, and you know the kind of parameters, you know the you, know, you basically know the rules you're playing with. Uh, once you sort of figure out how money moves within an agency, that gives you a tremendous competitive advantage when it comes to business development, um, engagement, lead times, things like that. Well, let me ask you this, Matthew. So you you laid out two kind of scenarios, perhaps within an agency where funding could be dispersed, whether it's kind of all controlled at the top by the CIO or whether it's decentralized uh, throughout for them to make uh, individual decisions based on based on department. If you had it your way, how would how would it be laid out? Because I mean, I, I could see pros and cons to both, right? If you're a CIO sitting on top of the funding, you have the ability to be more strategic for 
great. Um, but at the same time, if it's decentralized, it might give you more agility, right? Because a CIO can't meet with everybody to be able to make all these decisions. The decentralization would give a department more agility to respond faster, uh, to perhaps respond uh, a little bit more intimately to it. Um, but it, again, pros and cons both. How would you have it if if you could if you could make the decision? Yeah, it's a really great question, and uh, I I haven't thought as deeply about this as I probably should. So so I appreciate you bringing that up. But um, my initial sense is that there's probably a hybrid approach that works best. If you think about uh, a CIO or uh, a CTO or a CISO. You know they need to be looking at enterprise-wide change and and infrastructure issues and security issues and platform issues across the agency to sort of help drive uh, efficiency and modernization that way. But um, you wouldn't want them to have control of all of the funds because there are folks out there on the on the front lines of uh, an agency trying to deliver missions, sort of programs, benefits, and services, like you said, who are going to uh, know the environment, uh, see when things change more quickly. Uh, be more agile uh, and be able to, to to change their program and where necessary to change sort of how they're how they're spending uh, taxpayer dollars to drive better outcomes. So uh, the 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 way I think about this is is an agency has to have uh, its own sort of strategic plan. You got to have great leadership at the top. You got to have a secretary and a deputy secretary that have a clear plan for what the agency is supposed to be doing, and then you work within you know the sort of legislate the legal constraints that you have and the, the organizational constraints you have to set in place the right sort of business and operation structure to help you achieve that. And so, you know, I there's and there's been some some unique developments in either way, I think, in this administration. I think someone like the, the Department of Agriculture under Gary Washington, who's the CIO there, they've consolidated a lot more authority into the into the CIO's office and, and given them a clear line of sight into the programs and more control over sort of how the programs are are spending dollars. I think in in some other places, I pointed out the the VA earlier. I think in places like Department of Homeland Security, um, that's been a much more dispersed model. Things have been moved out uh, much more aggressively, both through Congress and to the administration, to um, to program areas and to to bureaus and you know um, sub agencies stuff like that. So uh, they. There, there's a constant tinkering happening in in government, and I think there's a there's a good balance to be had there between enterprise wide efficiency and effectiveness at at the top, and then um, sort of agility and, and change and 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 being able to take quick and authoritative action sort of out on the on the bleeding edge. And really, that comes down to trust and partnership, collaboration inside the agency. And if you have smart executives who can communicate well and who um, trust each other to to work towards the same mission, um, you find that there's a lot less infighting or confusion or people sort of caring or worrying, is this my money? Do I have control over this? And it's more about how are we working together to sort of help, you know, get citizens, get taxpayers what they need. No, I, I think that's a great point. It kind of speaks to culture and it's kind of where I wanted to go next. Another another thing you you said during your congressional testimony last July was modernization happens when several critical factors are involved, including a powerful commitment from agency senior leadership. So said, right, you, you not only the, the communication, but the ability for them to be more strategic um, in their in their thinking as they're looking to drive change. Have you have you seen other cultural issues within an organization really um, hold uh, hold agencies back 
um, or or have you seen them being able to be overcome those challenges with with just the implement, implementation of technology? Yeah, I, I, I think it goes back to something I mentioned a little bit um, earlier is, um, you know, agencies that sort of digitize their workflows, folks that got employees to buy in on the power of technology to make um, their day, day-to-day lives easier and more effective and allow them to be uh, more efficient and drive better outcomes um, has been a real uh, has been a real net positive in this space where folks that feel like technology change is being pushed on them because someone else thought it was a good idea tends to lead more resistance. And, and I'm sure you've talked about this on, on the pod before and you hear the people say it, but, you know, um, uh, le- legacy in government is not just about old systems or old programming languages. It's about um, a comfort that the workforce has with doing things and an in- they know things are inefficient. They don't like it, but they don't feel empowered to change it. And I remember honestly, back from my time at the General Services Administration, you know, GSA is a very tech-forward agency. Dave Shive, the CIO, is great. Got a lot of good leadership at the top and throughout the agency. But when I was there, if I wanted to do time and attendance, if I wanted to, to request time off, if I wanted to check my time card, if I wanted to um, you know, check my leave balance uh, and all that, I'd have, to, I'd have to sign into different systems to do all of that. And it was incredibly inefficient and no one liked it and everyone complained about it when, when they had to do it. But if you wanted your time off, that's what you had to do. Uh, and so that's, that's really where I think um, modernization and transformation really has to happen. There has to be a buy-in from folks all throughout the agency that um, whatever you're going to do on the technology front or the acquisition front or the financial management front or the HR front is really to help empower them and help them be better at their jobs. And not just because someone somewhere wanted a particular uh, gadget or a particular product. Um, it's got to be about those end users. So uh, agency CIOs and, and secretaries, deputy secretaries that think about um, their workforce as their own sort of client base, their own end users, uh, and not just the folks outside the walls of an agency. Um, that begets, I think, smarter and more nuanced and more helpful um, decision making. And, and it helps uh, those uh, those employees buy into what you're doing and to make it make it more substantive and real. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think one of the reasons you see some of those things happening the way they are was the actual process itself, um, regardless of the technology, was was built around maybe a paper-based process. Correct. So yep. basically all they did was throw technology into it and say, okay, now the same process is going to happen but you can do it on the computer now. And that doesn't mean it's more efficient. It just means there's less paper. So I think the the idea that you need to actually transform the process before you, uh, before you bring technology into it is an important one. And another thing you touched on there that, that I appreciate, I I do a lot of speaking around the future of government work. And uh, it's, it's, to me, it's three, three prong it's work, workplace, but also workforce. Um, yep. And I think that plays a big part into it is just in the fact that if you if your employees are having better experience, if they're working with better processes on their end, it frees their time up. I mean, it aligns exactly to what I'm sure you helped uh, helped write and define within the presidential management agenda that shift yep. from a low value. And that to me is it's the less cool side of maybe a citizen program or citizen experience, but it's very much a fundamental piece of it. If your employees are driving uh, more value by doing higher value activities, you're going to provide ultimately a better citizen citizen service on the front end, I believe. 
Yeah, no, Brian, it's a it's a great point, and I'm and I'm gonna steal the the work workplace and workforce from you in, in future conversations. I have I really love that um, that w- that way of framing it. The the thing that I've mentioned, I, I think I spoke about this um, when I was in Congress. I know I definitely talk about it with our members and um, with agencies when I consult with them. Is the the folks that are that in my perception, based on what I've seen, sort of anecdotally and from some research and conversations, the the folks, especially in the federal space that are that have seen improvements in their performance and their well-being and every everything else that that's positive from a personal and professional standpoint the folks that have seen that go up dramatically i think since the covid shift have been those frontline employees have been what you what i'll just call for lack of a better term just like the worker bees the folks that are working in a program working in a cio office um, and just doing the work their hands on keyboards or you know they're in meetings they're they're making things happen the folks that have seen the biggest shift and the ones that I think have been the most reluctant um, to sort of own up to the fact that whether we're going to be in maximum telework or, or, a, or a much more aggressive telework posture over the foreseeable future are managers. It's that middle management group. It's the folks who are, who are used to going around and seeing that they have people who work for them or report to them that are doing work, that are you know, um, executing deliverables, that they are you know, staying on top of their um, staying on top of their projects uh, and managing them effectively. Um, so many managers do that through touch and feel and sort of being in person and like having one-on-one check-ins and things like this. And so when they're not able to sort of see those employees all the time, there's a, there's a level of trust that they, one, have to build within themselves. They have to know that they've got good people that are executing effectively. And, and they, have to, they have to sort of change how they manage. And so that's something that I hope doesn't get lost in uh, in sort of the current posture we're in and where we're going to be in the future. And, and frankly, um, you know, even if you had uh, a vaccine tomorrow and everyone could take it, you know, I don't know that folks are going to be rushing back into offices. You know, I, the conversations I had uh, sort of a couple of months into, into the COVID response were folks going, oh, you know, I really miss being in the office. I miss seeing my colleagues. You know, I, I, I miss like standing by the water cooler or going to grab a cup of coffee with stuff. And those conversations have dissipated over time and folks have just sort of gotten used to the fact that you know i like not having an hour-long commute on i-66 every morning or mm-hmm. uh or, or coming down from from frederick maryland or uh and you know i i like not having to sit on the metro and and put on a suit every day before i go to the office i can still be professional i can still get my work done and so you know that i think is is what's going to drive some of the long-term behavior and i think the government, I think the General Service Administration, I think OMB, I think the Office of Personnel Management, they need to be thinking about this comprehensively. They need to think about what the future of sort of the federal workplace is, how are buildings safe and secure and, and, and modern, and what does the, the leasing and the building profile look like for federal agencies when and if employees start coming back into the office. Uh, from a technology standpoint, you got to make sure that um, when you get away from maximum telework and you move more into a much more fluid and hybrid environment where some folks are in on some days, some are out on some days, uh, people are still more remote than in the office. What does it look like from a technology standpoint, from an infrastructure, from a security standpoint, and how are you constantly staying on top of sort of how your workforce is, is operating? And then from like a, from an OPM and an OMB standpoint, you know, how are you measuring performance? Like how are you using this as a way to entice better, uh, better employees or potential employees into the federal workforce? How are you getting better collaboration between federal employees and the contractor and vendor community? Uh, and then how are you recognizing and incentivizing uh, performance for employees up and down um, an agency sort of org chart? So, you know, there's, 
again, like take politics out of it, you know, take whatever happens in November out of it. But, you know, any any forthcoming administration in Congress really needs to be thinking holistically about this and thinking about from a, a, a legal standpoint, what laws need to change, OMB, what needs to happen in, in the budget and in management uh, priorities. And an administration really has to, to want to lead on this and build a better, smarter, more effective uh uh, federal government. So I think that there's going to be a tremendous amount of change, a tremendous amount of positive change in this area going forward. But it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of deep thinking, and a lot of commitment from from folks on the Hill and, and in the White House moving forward. Yeah, so it, you just touched on a lot there, and it kind of is the embodiment of, of something I wanted to touch on, on today. But um, before I do that, one of the things that I think private sector has done really well is understand that work from home or even work from anywhere. I mean, I've yep. even before the pandemic hit, I've been working remote almost full time for the past few years. Yeah. So boss is enabled to be able to support a globally remote organizations across continents. You need to be able to understand how to manage those folks. But you also need to make sure you're recruiting for the type of people that are okay with that because there are still yep. going to be people that want to be able to go into the office and do that. But at the same time, it brings a, it brings a huge value because now the government who is, is habitually struggling with talent uh, as they're kind of competing with private sector can use that as a, as a, a chip in the negotiation saying, yep. you know what? Not only do we not have to recruit only from the Washington D.C. area, but we can we can also let them work remote, which is younger generation is something that they're looking to do. They're looking to have the ability to have work life balance from that perspective, not have that yep. hour commute into D.C. So immediately it becomes more attractive. They they might have take they might have a smaller salary they went to. A private yep. sector company, but they trade off with work-life balance. I think that's important. The um, Ab absolutely. I was going to say really quick. Unlike you, I I was not a teleworker before any of this happened, and and I've really grown to enjoy it. And I got to tell you, my wife and I took a really hard look at a lot of those sort of Caribbean islands that were offering up, uh, you know, ten or twenty, <laughs> ten or ten or twenty grand. That's why. Move, that's know, why like I don't say Barbados. work from home. It's that's work right. From work from anywhere. That's right. That's right. Um, but it, what I was kind of what I've seen at all the different facets that are interconnected um, that, that we've seen kind of knock dominoes down, starting with telework, which then necessitated these collaboration platforms that yep. um, have driven change. And, and I got to be honest, I'm still meeting with customers and they have conference lines. They still don't have a, a video yeah. conferencing ability yet. So it's still kind of moving forward. But then you get into, okay, well, now we're teleworking. How are we managing our data? Is it is yep. we need a new records management solution. But at the same time, we also have to deal with all these security ramifications we didn't have to deal with before, which which leads not only to maybe technology procurement, but education. How do we enable our, our staff to understand what they can and cannot do when they're working remotely? There's yep. so many pieces that kind of fell throughout this that I need think needed to get picked back up. The form of we we didn't see this coming. Um, how is how is ADI helping the government and helping kind of interconnectivity of a lot of these pieces, kind of to help stand those dominoes back up? Yeah, it, it it's a great it's a great 
question. And so there, there's a few things. One of the things that we can do outside of government that I couldn't do when I was at OMB um, is we can get messages uh, finalized and amplified and targeted to the right audiences a lot more quickly. And, uh, and I know you've had uh, Suzette Kent, my former boss, um, on the pod. And she and I talked about this a lot, both when we were at OMB and we talk about it now that, that both of us are, are no longer there is, you know, there was never a lack of understanding inside OMB that like what we were working on in the federal CEO's office was incredibly important and had potential for a lot of impact and, and uh, touched on a, a significant amount of, of, of federal funds. And still that message, no matter how important it was, was always subservient to other priorities and issues within OMB, whether it came around sort of the budget, whether it came around regulation, you know, you name it, you were always a, a sort of second or third tier priority. So although you had a you had an audience, you had a vendor community, you had agencies who were very thirsty for a lot of information, a lot better insights into what OMB's doing and, and why we're doing what we're doing, you know, that communication gap um, was was real and, and significant and uh, slowed down a lot of the a lot of the progress that we can make. So now on the outside at ADI, you know, I can work with folks like Maria wrote, who's um, now the acting federal CEO. Uh, she started after after you know, she came on right before Suzette left and, mm -hmm. and is, is still there now. Or folks like Stephen Hernandez, who is at the CISO at the Department of Education, but also the vice chair of the CISO Council, the, the Federal uh, Chief Information Security Officers Council. And we can work with them and say, hey, what are you what are you hearing? What are you seeing? You know, what what messages can we carry? Um, to the Hill or to agencies? Like, what do we need to know in our conversations that can help drive the change that you want to see that you may not have um, the platform or the agility to, to do that as effectively as you would like? So that is something that's very freeing here. I think one of the other interesting things being at ADI is you know, we have a lot of members. We have some very large members who have been in the public sector for a long time. We've also got a lot of small, mid-sized companies, some startups, that are just now dipping their toe into the federal market or just now dipping their toe into the, into the advocacy and policy uh, arena. And so we're able to kind of bridge the, the gap. You know, they'll, they'll send, a, send an email to me saying, hey, I heard Agency X is going to do this industry day. You know, is it worth my time? Or, hey, I read this in, you know, this publication. Like, is this real? Like, you know, why are they saying this? And we are able, from an ADI standpoint, to kind of, help educate our, our members, and then also help educate governments. So we're able to bring the knowledge from our member set and our partner networks uh, to those federal policymakers and, and legislators that need to, need to understand what's going on and, and see it from our perspective. And we're also able to kind of take some of that, um, kind of demystify some of, the, some of the press releases or some of the communications and, and, and comments on webinars or, or uh, conferences that you see from federal officials and help kind of, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, but you help to sort of like piece that puzzle together on sort of what they're kind saying, a, why, they're, why they're saying it. It's, it's almost like a foreign language sometimes. I, I know it I've is. talked to some of my coworkers and it, 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 not, even, not even on planet earth. I mean, working with, working with the public sector versus commercial, it's, it's like you're working on a different planet sometimes and no, being it, able to... Well, I was to say, being in the role you were in and having an understanding of the ins and outs of DC the way that you do, you're able to kind of translate that to your members, which is a huge value. 
Yeah, and it's it's really true. And I said this when I was in government. And, you know, the government is very good at talking at industry, not very good at talking with industry. And and in some cases, there are very good reasons for that. You know, there's there's ethical issues, there's procurement integrity issues, you name it. But you know, the, the some people just feel unnecessarily handcuffed uh, from mm-hmm. from having sort of better, smarter engagement. They don't feel like they have the authorities or the 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 uh, sort of commitment from leadership to do stuff like that. And, and that's very frustrating. So we try to find new and creative ways to, to make uh, those, build those relationships and make those opportunities happen. Because it, we all, the, the great thing about being in the public sector is whether you're on the outside, you're, you're a, a technology or cybersecurity sort of product or service company, or you're in an agency and you're in a CIO office or you're in a program office, we're all trying to do the same thing. We're all patriotic. We're all trying to help deliver better services to citizens. And when we, when government is either forced to, or or just uh, either forced to speak in sort of coded or, or um, you know, uh, veiled language or veiled kind of priorities and and um, and uh, sort of priorities and, and perspectives, then you know that just makes it harder for industry to really come to the table and provide potential solutions or, or solution sets that could be useful in helping achieve. A problem. So that is really where we are at ADI. So we we have a clear policy mission. Like I said, we want to help the government buy and use commercial technology to drive mission outcomes. But that is partly working to improve the acquisition process. It's partially working to ensure that the federal employees that are already on the ground know and understand technology and can use it more effectively so that they're better consumers and and, and users of, of a lot of this new and emerging tech. And then part of it is and building what we call sort of building a, a larger sort of addressable market for innovation. How do we get more people inside government who have an innovative mindset and are willing to have take some level of, of measured risk? And how do we have industry uh, primed to be better partners, be better, um, uh, be better collaborators with government so that they, it doesn't just feel like you know, trying to make a sale, it feels like working together to solve a problem and building better relationships and getting better outcomes. So uh, I think in the long run, that's going to that's gonna benefit industry a lot. And most, most importantly, it's going to benefit citizens and taxpayers who are going to see better services. Their data is going to be more secure. Um, agencies are going to operate at a higher, um, you know, a higher capacity. Um, and ultimately, it's about making sure that citizens, um, you know, get what they need from the government and, and build that trust and and competence back in in how the government manages itself and and delivers outcomes for citizens. Like I said earlier on the show, I think uh, now more than ever, um, there's great need for an organization like yours. So uh, I'm glad you guys are doing what you're doing. Uh, Thanks for the time today, Matthew. Uh, Any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with today? Uh, well, first off, thanks thanks for having me. I, I, great questions. I really enjoyed uh, the conversation. Uh, I guess the last thing I'll say is. Um, and I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier on, is I, I, there's a great opportunity before us as, as government, as industry, as those of us kind of in between that, that work in the, in the policy and advocacy space. Um, there's as bad as COVID has been for families and, and the country and the economy and, and world, like in this space that we operate in, this federal technology um, space and where we are, um, it is going to drive modernization further and faster than we could have ever imagined seven months ago. And, and you know, I used to say at the start of this, um, you know, COVID has driven IT modernization uh, faster in five months than it did, than we did in the past 
15 years before that. And, and I think that's true. And I think that there's going to be some real building blocks um, to allow us to accelerate even faster uh, going forward. So I think it is a very interesting, exciting, creative time uh, to solve these problems, to work on these big mission issues, and to, to drive modernization and digital transformation faster. So for all your listeners or for folks that are thinking about either taking a job in government or, or working uh, for uh, you know for some company that's working in the vendor base and, and working to support federal agencies, um, you know it is it, it is the opportunities and the possibilities are are pretty limitless before us. So um, I'm excited. I love what we do at ADI. Love what you're doing on the podcast, helping to get folks educated and, and having them listen. And you know building a better, smarter, more well-informed community is just going to lead to to better outcomes. So I'm excited. And, and thanks again for having me today. I appreciate that, Matthew. Thanks for the insights. Excellent. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to gmarku.com or iTunes, Spotify, and I'm now streaming on Amazon Music Podcasts. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at ChittisterAB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.